PM board bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we help you study for boards, but in reality, we help you ace EM life. One rapid podcast at a time. I'm Blake Briggs, co-founder, co-host of this shindig that we have going on here. For each 15-minute episode, you gain high yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. Dr. Hussein isn't here. He's out of town. He's on vacation. I'm not sure where, but I'm happy to take you on a tour of some highly relevant, high-yield facts that'll help you become a whiz in emergency medicine. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at EMBoardBombs. You know, we haven't had an Apple review in a while, and I enjoy reading those. They brighten my day. I know Dr. Hussein enjoys them too. So if you have the time and just the kindness in your heart, drop an Apple review. It helps our rankings on iTunes, and we could always go for more rankings, right? We're doing great, but Let's just keep up the momentum. So drop a review, if you don't mind, on Apple iTunes if you have an Apple product. If you don't, you're off the hook. We got a really fun one for you. I was just thinking about this on a run today, and I had a recent patient with this particular problem and inspired me to talk about it today. So we have a 49-year-old male presenting to the ED with acute onset of right great toe pain. He states last night he watched two full-length videos on YouTube where an ex-NASA engineer and inventor, Mark Roper, made a backyard maze for squirrels to go through in order to reach walnuts. While he describes how each of these squirrels quickly learned the layout of the maze, you politely interrupt him to ask more about his right great toe pain. He states when he woke up, he had significant pain to the base of his first toe. He states that he has a history of gout. He denies fevers or chills. When asked, he states he had a really big cookout this past weekend, with sausages, steaks, and of course beer. Lots of it. Which of the following is true for this patient? Choice A. The patient's allopurinol should not be paused during this acute flare. Choice B. Serum uric acid level can assist with diagnosis. Choice C. Negative CRP and ESR rule out septic arthritis. Choice D. Colchizine has been found to be the most superior in terms of acute gout therapy. Correct answer here is going to be choice A. The patient's allopurinol should not be paused during this acute flare. As usual, we have to plug our premium podcast, EM Rapid Bombs. If you enjoy board bombs, but you want a quicker, just fast fact, high yield version of our podcast, no nonsense. Don't waste your time studying just for boards. You can do both preparation for clinical practice and board studying with our Rapid Bombs podcast. Unlike other EM resources, our premium podcast is the only one the only one that downloads straight to your favorite podcast player on your smartphone, and you don't have to use any other type of clunky app or device or login codes. It goes straight to your phone. We have over 240 episodes and counting. Each episode is just two to four minutes long. We drop high-yield bombs in a question-answer format. So don't waste your time studying for the test with just traditional question banks. Optimize your time by listening to our board bomb pearls that will help you for the test. But more importantly, and this is really the key here, with life. L-I-F-E. Life. You can sign up for Rapid Bombs on emrapidbombs.supercast.com. You can look at the show notes of this podcast. It'll have a direct link to that website. You can also just go to 
EM4 bombs, the main site, and then follow the links from there. So gout is a common inflammatory arthritis that affects about 4% of adults in the United States. Actually, I'm kind of shocked reading that because 4% sounds like a lot. And I feel like I don't see much of this in the emergency department. Maybe I'm missing a lot of them. Lifestyle features that greatly increase the risk of gout include what you would expect, like this question stem, alcohol consumption, obesity, and any foods with a high amount of purine in them. Now, if you're in medical school, you could have recited what high purine foods are, but if you're not in medical school, you're like, purine, hmm. <laughs> Muscles, like from the ocean, shrimp, and organ meats, like livers, chicken livers, whatever, all that stuff. Just, you know, it's an acquired taste. Salty fish, like sardines and herrings, sausages, and red meats. So acute gout flares are exquisitely painful. With redness, warmth, and swelling of the affected joint, it looks just like septic arthritis. Maximum severity is reached in less than 24 hours. Attacks generally subside spontaneously in a few days. 80% of cases involve a single joint in the lower extremity. Flares are twice as likely to begin after sleeping, and this is because episodes classically occur at night when the patient is supine. They wake up to discover a really swollen, painful joint in the most dependent area of the body. And then you're probably asking, well, why at night? Well, the thought is the temperature drop reduces the solubility and promotes crystallization of urate. Therefore, one can expect to find gout flares in the ankle or first metatarsophalangeal joint. This is known as pedagra. The great toe is the first site of attack in almost half of cases. In less than 20% of patients, multiple joints can be affected at once, and it's usually later stage uh, in patients that have advanced gout and usually have a history of it already diagnosed. Now, patients with recurrent gout flares may have evidence of solid tissue deposits of urate. These are called tophi, which cause long-standing injury, of course. They're not painful of tender. Tophi are not the acute, scary stuff. They just gradually increase in size, causing worsening joint deformity and joint injury. In the fingers, it can look like dactylitis, too. Now, also in the long term, chronic hyperuricemia, systemically, can cause nephrolithiasis, of course, and nephropathy, as urate itself is very nephrotoxic. Now, the only way of definitively diagnosing gouty arthritis is joint aspiration, of course, and demonstration of the classic crystals by polarizing microscopy. Now, before you, oh, don't go yet, don't go yet. I know some people are switching off their podcast. Don't, nope, stop, don't click pause, don't click unsubscribe. I promise I'm not going to mention any birefringence or whatever that term was with looking at needles. <laughs> you can go look up our handout on the website if you want to remind yourself what type of birefringence polarizing microscopy goes on here. We're not going to talk about that. So who should undergo arthrocentesis? Well, anyone with suspected gout flare in whom the diagnosis has not been formally made, or in those where the cause is uncertain, you need to rule out more serious causes, aka, you know, probably the greatest thing you want to not miss is septic arthritis. Okay, I would be remiss to not talk about things that we do that waste time, and also will make me very angry. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! So, labs cannot diagnose gout, so why do we order them? I see a lot of people order ESR, CRP, white blood cell counts. They're worthless for gout. But even for septic arthritis, none of these are definitive. They make you feel better, and a lot of people get them for that reason. But they're not going to 100% rule out septic arthritis, which is why choice C was wrong. Negative CRP and ESR do not rule out septic arthritis 100%. If you're concerned about it, you have to tap the joint. Choice B said serum uric acid level can assist with diagnosis. Well, probably the worst lab you could ever order, ever 
for gout is a serum uric acid level. <laughs> so we still hear a lot of people ordering uric acid levels on EM board bombs. Please don't do that. Please, please, please don't do that. These levels don't correspond to gout flares. They don't change management. Normal serum uric acid levels do not rule out gout. Oh my gosh, let's say it for those louder in the back. Normal serum uric acid levels do not rule out gout. I had my hands cupped and I was yelling to people in the back of the room listening to this podcast. So what about white blood cell gout? Well, that can range in the synovial fluid anywhere from above 10,000, but gout should never cause a white blood cell count greater than 100,000, synovial fluid count, right? If you see counts greater than, you know, 50,000, you still should be concerned about septic arthritis in the right clinical picture, especially with the fever. And gout can definitely coexist with other inflammatory arthritic conditions. Chronic long-term therapy to prevent gout flares and reduce chronic arthropathy includes allopurinol, baboxistat, and probanacid. There are a few others that are much less common. We're not going to talk about them. So what about acute gout therapy as we wrap this up? These therapies that we just mentioned, the allopurinol, the febaxistat, and probanacid, they don't help during gout flares, but contrary to current dogma, they are not harmful during the acute flare, and they should not be discontinued. In fact, it's suggested from a very small amount of studies that if you pause these during the acute flare and restart them, you have a higher chance of developing another flare again. So stop doing that. What about Tylenol and opioids? Well, they don't help reduce gout inflammation. They can be used as an adjunctive for pain control if you really want, but they're not solutions. Of the three major therapies for acute gout treatment, there's no single best agent. What are the three therapies? Well, they're actually the same exact therapies for acute pericarditis. NSAIDs, glucocorticoids, and colchicine. The best method here when assigning these therapies is to review the patient's comorbidities to each medication and their preference, if this is not their first flare, they may know what works best for them, and how adequate is their rheumatology follow-up. This will impact if you determine to give steroids or colchicine or NSAIDs, right? All three of these medications can have side effects. Very important to review so the patient not just throw one medication at them. It has been shown not to give, you know, multiple combos of these. It's one or the other, and that's really about it. Nice, quick, easy bore bomb. We're clocking in less than 11 minutes now. That's awesome. So let's wrap this up. Another bore bomb delivered. Remember, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at em bore bombs as well as Instagram. Check out our channel. Check out the em. Rapid Bombs Premium Podcast, and of course, check out Mark Roper, who I don't know personally, but I actually watched the squirrel videos. That's what inspired my STEM today. They're actually pretty funny. He has a lot of cool YouTube videos. He has over like 3 million followers too, which is pretty impressive. So hats off to him for being a uh, pretty ingenious guy, pretty smart dude. And uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Hopefully, Thought will be back. I promise he's still with Ian Bore Bombs. We haven't, we haven't canceled him, so... <laughs> He's still with us. He's just, you know, traveling the world. He's just doing Hussein things. So anyway, see you next time. Thanks for listening.